Hi, this is Cheryl Grayson, wide receiver with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, four-time NCAA champ, seven-time NCAA All-American at LSU, and now Super Bowl champion. You're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nee Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I'm joined by Mr. Corby Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. How's it going, buddy? I'm good, and we have a very special guest. It's football season in Canada, and it's always football season in the U.S. with the NFL, so we're going to talk about that and more. It is the one and only Farhan Lauji from the TSN in Canada. Farhan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Pleasure to have you on. And, mate, you're based in Vancouver. So what's been the preparation like for the BC Lions with the CFL kicking off this weekend? Well, the Lions have uh, got a young team. You know, they were very young a year ago. Now they're just kind of young. And they've got a young last year. And there's a lot of belief in him. People are really excited about what he could potentially bring to this team and to the league as a Canadian quarterback, but also a guy that has a, a real dual threat ability. He can pass, he can run. Uh, so there's Nathan and the storylines around that. There's new ownership for this team. They've got uh, one Republic coming in to play the first game as a pregame concert. So there's going to be over 30,000 fans there. So a lot of excitement around this team. And, and we haven't necessarily had that leading into a BC Lions season for a couple of years now. So it's nice to see. There we go. And Farhan, you cover a lot of the West Coast football scene, is that right? Yeah, I do quite a bit, uh, not just the CFL. I mean, I do quite a bit of NFL, not simply on the West Coast, but yeah, I do cover the Seahawks a fair bit. You know, the the Los Angeles teams uh, last year, especially, uh, you know, with the Rams winning the Super Bowl, uh, they were a lot of fun to cover. I got down there quite a bit, but I tend to get across the NFL quite a bit during the course of the season. So uh, whether it's CFL, NFL, uh, on the CFL side, my role is yeah, I do sidelines for BC Lions games, but I've also done some play-by-play league-wide, and I'm also a, an insider, so I cover the league coast-to-coast. So football is my thing. I do cover the Vancouver Canucks for hockey as well, but certainly dive into football on a lot more levels than I do hockey. Very good. And have you got anything out of OTAs for us? Any nuggets so far? Not a ton. You know, just when you look at Seattle and what's happened down there with uh, with the Seahawks and the changes around that franchise with Russell Wilson gone, uh, also, DK Metcalf with DK Metcalf and uh, his um, absence from OTAs. You know the contract situation around him with Seattle has got a lot of people fairly nervous right now, along with their quarterback situation with Geno Smith or Drew Locke. You know, so there's a lot of questions there as well. So uh, it should be interesting goings in Seattle. You know, the OTAs are, are these OTAs matter the most when they're mandatory, right? And you can really get a sense of where certain. Uh, conscience and holdouts are going so it'll be interesting you know baker mayfield being excused in cleveland uh what's going to happen there are they going to finally trade him what are they going to do a quarterback if deshaun watson gets suspended for half a season or more you know there's a lot of questions for a number of spots around the league there we go 
yeah, just to get back to CFL for a second, I mean, Nee and I are based in Toronto, and here very few people care about the CFL when it comes right down to it. The Argonauts don't have that strong a following. You're based in Vancouver, correct? Yeah, I am. And, you know, certainly Toronto is kind of the um, the apex of what's not good with the CFL, right? I mean, there's the least amount of interest there. Uh, and in Vancouver, we've got lots of exposure to what's happening in the NFL and to other sports. And, mm-hmm. you know, the NFL has a strong presence here in Vancouver and a big season ticket base. You know, almost 10% of their season ticket holders are from British Columbia. So certainly, you know, Montreal and Vancouver and even Calgary haven't been great in terms of attendance, but it's not been nearly as bad as it has been in Toronto. I wish that they would, you know, make the commitment that the Lions owner seems to be making right here in terms of getting it right. And I always say in Southern Ontario, there are CFL fans. It's just not cool to admit you're a CFL fan, right? Uh, That's the, the, the the disappointing part of it, right? So because when you look at the television ratings, they're still pretty good. So um, I would love it if some of those CFL fans in Southern Ontario, not just in Hamilton, but in the GTA kind of came out of the woodwork and, and showed themselves a bit. And we could see a bit more in the way of promotion and, and just commitment to getting it right there, because I, I do think it can still get turned. But we're never going to know until we see the attempt made. And I'm just not sure the attempt has been made to this point for the last you know, 10, even 20 years. Yeah, no, 100%. Obviously, they're, they're not putting that much into it when it comes right down to it and just banking off the fact that they need to be there, really. Like, the league wants them there. So they're not going anywhere. But yeah, the fan base does not grow. Now, to switch sports for a second, you have covered golf, correct? I have. Yeah, I haven't covered it closely in quite some time. But there was a time, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where I covered the majors on a regular basis. And boy, I wish I could play golf more than I currently do. But um it's a uh, sport, certainly a lot of fun to cover. Yeah, I played around this morning, but I'm, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Live Golf Tour and what it what does it mean overall in the grand perspective of things when it comes to men's professional golf? Well, I think you get, you've got to notice, right? You've got to pay attention when they're throwing around that kind of prize money and they're able to attract people like Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and, and others to come to the game and guarantee larger purses at the front end. I mean, what happens the next time there's a golf prodigy, right? Like when Tiger Woods came onto the scene, we knew he was coming onto the scene. There was a lot of hype and anticipation about his arrival. Well, in this world, Live Golf can come in and say to him, don't go play the PGA Tour. We're going to pay you $200 million up front to go do this. And if you want to play the PGA Tour and play the majors or whatever, if they allow you to do both, go do both, but make us the priority and we'll put this money on your plate right away and when that happens i think it's going to really make a dent right i mean right now the pga is at a bit of a crossroads because they've got to make a decision you know they've wanted to be heavy-handed to this point and say no no you're just going to play for us but the majors have their own way of doing things right so yeah you might be able to control the pga championship but the other three majors you're not going to be able to control and the u.s open has already said that and the Masters maybe next year is going to have the same approach as is the British Open, where they're going to say, look, if you want to go do that, as long as you play in our events, we're good, right? We don't have that loyalty to the PGA Tour itself. And if that happens, the PGA is going to have a decision to make, because if some of these guys are going to take that money up front and they're going to reduce the toll that they've got to put on themselves and the travel that they've got to put on themselves and say, look, I can play three of the four majors and and I can go play 10 tournaments on the live tour and still make a ridiculous amount of money and spend more time with my family and work on my golf game from my home course, right? It's going to change the dynamics of golf in terms of the format, you know, whether it's team golf or individual golf, it's neither here nor there, but that money, it's all about the money 
and people are going to wind up not being overly concerned because ultimately if Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson lead the way and they take all the arrows for everybody else, it's going to be there's going to be less scrutiny on everybody else to have to deal with you know, the Saudi government and the human rights violations and all of those types of things because they've taken the arrows for them. They can just go out and make money and play golf on their terms. Yeah, and I think it's no surprise really and it's not a coincidence that they you know began the tour this week with the open right around the corner not enough time to really react i mean obviously those players are going to be at the open when it comes right down to it it's the future events beyond that that you have to look at as to whether or not they're going to allow them in there yeah you know when you look at when you look at golf and the tiger woods effect and and not the tiger woods is going to play in this tournament that's not my point my point is is that the game was so dependent on him where it got to the point that when I used to cover golf, you know, it was, it was Tiger versus the field if you ever got into a golf pool. And players resented Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods 2.0 coming back around, everybody has been thrilled. Players on the tour have been thrilled to get him back because they know what he does for ratings. They know what he does for purses. And that tells you that the game needs more star power. And if star power leaves to go play on this tour, the PGA Tour could be in trouble. And and I don't think I'm overstating that because, again, when you just look at what that one player has done for golf and the ups and downs in his life, what that did for the PGA Tour, what that did for the ratings at any given golf tournament, major or otherwise. So, uh, you know, I, I think if I'm the PGA Tour, I'm a little bit worried as to what this could do for that next young star player if they make those choices What's it going to do to the tour right now? I think I think if I'm uh, right there in the midst of it, I'm nervous. Yeah, you make a very good point with that because I mean, even if you if you look back a few years and you take in when Tiger was going through the back surgeries and such, you still had the young phenoms like Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth coming up. But if they had gone to a rival tour, you wouldn't have had much to really watch at that point. No, you wouldn't have. And you also have to ask yourself, how much do those guys move the needle, right? And they do to a point, but certainly not to the degree the tour needs that needle moved, right? So you're right. I mean, if if those are the guys at the league, or sorry, the league, I'm used to team sports. If those are the guys that the tour wants to hang its hat on, and all of a sudden they leave or make you a second priority, you've got every reason to be nervous. Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Good point. Yeah, just switching back to team sports for a moment, Farhan. In addition to being on TSN, you also have, you've been a coach for a number of years on the field. I love hearing about schemes and tactics. So please tell us, what was your coaching style when you were a football coach? Well, I used to, if you're asking about actual offensive or defensive systems, uh, for, for a long time I coached what was called the wing tee, which is a very conservative style of football offense, very run-based. And then as we evolved, we, we kind of, I learned about a, an evolution of that offense called the gun tee. So we could get into the shotgun and still run a lot of the modern concepts with, uh, you know, RPO game and screen game, but still being able to block the run game the way traditional wing tee got blocked. So that's what we did. But, you know, honestly, guys, as I progressed in my coaching career, because I only coached at the high school level, uh, which I think is a very important level to coach at because of, you know, what you get and the impact you're able to make. I focused very little on scheme, and I let my assistant coaches spend most of their time on scheme, and I spent a lot more time on uh, you know, making it about them and making sure that I prioritized what was important to them and just trying to be a mentor and to grow the program and get more kids playing and do those types of things and just kind of put a system in place where the 
coaches that I coached with had all the resources and everything they needed to coach the game the way they wanted to coach it. But I, I didn't spend nearly as much time on systems the last seven or eight years of my high school coaching career. I spent a lot more time on on mentorship and, and leading kids as opposed to worrying about systems. So I guess you were more like the CEO of the team, a bit like uh, maybe Bill Belichick or someone of that ilk. Oh, boy, don't call me Bill Belichick. Yeah, he won a lot of championships, but he was a nightmare to be around. So I definitely don't want to be Bill Belichick. But, uh, you know, maybe more Pete Carroll or, uh, you know, maybe more Nick Saban. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of I probably was a little more of a CEO style coach later on in my coaching tenure. And I, and, and I prefer it that way because what I got the most out of was being able to watch kids develop and grow as people. And, you know, then it was more fun for my coaches because they got to dive into the system. So that was fine with me. Mm-hmm. Now you touched on, I guess, in jest a little bit that Bill Belichick was a bit of a nightmare. But who are some people that have been a delight to deal with in the in the NFL? Uh, you talking about players or coaches? Both. Um, you know what? Like I, I love dealing with a lot of the top young quarterbacks in the league, and just not even young, the top quarterbacks in the league. Right? They were a lot of fun. Uh, you know, whether it was a, a player like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or you know a number of these guys, they just they got it. You know, they understood Peyton Manning, especially uh, Aaron Rodgers. You know, they, they were able to have fun with it, not necessarily take themselves too seriously. Answered with thought, uh, which was which was great. Uh, even, you know, even Russell Wilson, who occasionally came off a little phony. Uh, you know, there was still an enthusiasm about what he brought. And so you can still have fun dealing with him. Players like Richard Sherman, who uh, were, were outlandish and at the heart of his career uh, during that LOB era in Seattle, he would really make you think. Eventually, it kind of became too much about him and then that became a little bit less appealing but you know there, there were times when you, you'd go and you'd listen to those guys they were great and a lot of fun to listen to you know as far as coaches I really enjoyed Sean McVay Pete Carroll as well just guys that had a level of charisma guys that wanted to actually answer and and make an impact right because you know you get a guy like uh, Bill Belichick and it's all about the game which is great but I think you also have the ability to do so much more for the game and I wished more people would understand that and take the opportunity to make a bit of a difference. And, and, you know, I'm not sure he necessarily did that. It was all about the game and all about the team. And look, at the end of the day, he won a lot of Super Bowls, so give him credit. But as a, as a guy that isn't just a media member, but a guy that, that coached and cared about the game, I wish there was more to Bill than, than what he showed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your career path, Farhan, because both coach and then, you know, like a sports media personality – which came first and what led you to that? Um, for me, you know, when I started, I didn't think I was necessarily going to uh, be in this line of work, right? Like that's growing up, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in this line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I also didn't necessarily want to move. You know, I, I was pretty grounded here at the time. And, and looking at the industry, there weren't nearly as many outlets as there are now. The people that had the positions in Vancouver were there forever and it didn't look like they were going anywhere. So I didn't think I would get into the industry. I majored in communications at Simon Fraser, but there was no broadcast component to that. So people say that, oh, you did communications for this. That wasn't the case. I thought eventually I would get into, you know, public relations and maybe work for a pro sports team on the communications side and do that. And, uh, you know, I began coaching at a very early age. You know, I started coaching right when I left high school, like a couple of years later in the late eighties. So you know, there was a time where there was a decision to be made. And it was in the early 90s where I got offered my first job in the media. And I was a producer in radio in 1994. And um, it was right around then where I had some 
college coaching opportunities. And I had some people that liked what I was doing as a coach and said, look, you know, we could, we can help you kind of fast track your career this way. And, you know, I was starting to get into the media and, and I started to enjoy that. And it was allowing me to stay in Vancouver. And I thought, you know what, why don't I stick with this for a little bit and see where it takes me? But I do always wonder where I could have gone to had coaching become my career path. Cause I certainly had a lot of passion for that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I was able to get into the media and still continue to coach at a high school level where I felt I was making a difference to a lot of people. So it really turned out to be a win-win where I could coach it at that level. But, you know, I, I do always wonder, cause it was a part of me that always wanted to be a, an NCAA division one coach. And certainly they get paid a lot of money. And if I could have done that, I wonder where life would have taken me. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at New Smile. Just use the code PROSPORTS to get $150 off any of their teeth aligning kits. So turn up the dial on your smile with New Smile. Now on to the show. Now, you, you played uh, football growing up? I did, yeah. I played high school. I played junior football. And um, yeah, and I, I just really had a lot of passion for the game all the way through. And who mentored you as far as the coaching side of things goes? Well, my high school coach. Um more than anyone. His name is Alex Reed. I still stay in touch with him to this day. I think one of the reasons I got into coaching was probably less the football part and more just wanting to be around him and just wanting to continue to be mentored by him and, and see his example as a human being, right? Not just as a coach, but as a, you know, as a father and a person and, and all those types of things. And so I think that that was probably the biggest thing is just wanting to be around him. My three biggest coaching mentors, he was one, Wally Buono, who's a longtime CFL coach with BC and Calgary. Uh, was another, you know, just when Wally came to BC, he and I spent a lot of time in the office and I got to know him a lot and learned a lot of things from him. And then when I worked at Simon Fraser in their communications department, Allison McNeil was the women's basketball coach and she was an incredible coach. And uh, she taught me a lot about coaching as well and just kind of caring about the people that, that played for you and getting the most out of them that way, right? Just by showing them how much you cared. And, you know, so there was a lot of things I learned from from all three of them that I was able to take with me in, in not just in coaching, but in life. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you love to hear stories like that. And I've always believed that sports is, is good for society, is good for, for us as human beings, and it develops leadership and just good people skills as well. I've got to ask, Farhan, have you ever considered a front office role? Um, yes and no. You know, I've, I haven't been offered a front office role, number one. Number two... Uh, I have had people approach me and kind of kick the tires on my interest level. And um, it's intrigued me at the CFL level. There's no doubt it's intrigued me. And there may come a time where I feel more comfortable in that role. You know, do I have the scouting background? Do I have the business acumen to necessarily thrive? You know, I, I want to make sure that I, if I ever take a job like that, that I don't take it because of name value. I want to take it and feel like I'm really completely prepared to do it and to make a difference and to make whatever organization I'm with better. So I'm not saying that it'll never happen. You know, I, I've been asked to get involved in politics and I've, I've never said never. Uh, I don't feel that I'm at that stage yet. But, I, you know, that we all have a, a second life or a second career at some point. And, and that could be where it lands for me, whether it be in a front office capacity and something like that, or maybe in the political arena as well. All right. Vote one, Lauji. Now, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about where you're based, you're in Vancouver right now. And by the time this episode drops, Vancouver will have been announced as one of the hosting cities for the 2026 World Cup. Are you going to get a seat on that ticket for the media coverage? I don't know. You know, I hope so. I've never covered soccer in a meaningful level, right? Um, Football and hockey are my things. 
I had the chance to cover the World Cup in Germany, which was quite a while ago, and I was just coming off like eight weeks of Stanley Cup coverage, and I declined. And it was funny because my my wife is German, or she's half German, and we were in Germany on vacation, and her family was re- like beside themselves that I would say no to covering the World Cup in Germany. <laughs> so if we were the if we were the rights holder, I, and and I was offered some sort of role, I'm sure I would take it. It would be hard to say no. Covering the Olympics in my city was a fabulous experience, and being a part of the World Cup. Even if it was not necessarily covering the games, but just covering the event, uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. So I, I don't know. No one's spoken to me about it. We've got a lot of people that are waiting in line and I'm sure would want to have some sort of role in it. But if being involved in the World Cup in in um, uh, 26 was available, I would certainly uh, want to make that a part of my uh, overall experiences and resume. It'd be hard to say no a second time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, especially on home soil. Now, just staying with home soil for a second, I'm going to ask because I'm not the biggest hockey fan. I'm going to admit that straight off. But I did notice that when the Canucks changed coach earlier in the season, they went on a run. And it does leave me wondering, do you think they would have made the playoffs if they'd made the coaching change earlier on? I don't know. Um, You know, I, I think a lot of that was what you would call a run, right? Where there's an emotional aftershock from a new coach. Now, the coach, Bruce Boudreau, did some really good things, and he was able to improve specific areas that needed improving, particularly their their penalty kill, which was historically bad when the coaching change happened. But I still think that there's a talent gap on that team. So might they have snuck into the playoffs? Uh, It's certainly possible. But this team was not a contending team by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they've got problems on the defense. They've got problems amongst their depth forwards. Um, There are issues on that team that need to be addressed that eventually, if they don't get addressed, that team will come back to the mean, right? Like, I I don't think they could have continued on that pace and and won't be able to continue on that pace next year with the exact same roster intact. So Bruce did a really good job. Uh, You got to give him full credit, but there's some work that needs to be done. And I think management is pretty well aware of of where that work lies. Fair enough. Now, this one's a little bit outside the box. So staying with hockey for a moment, with a little bit of baseball sprinkled in. So this week, the the Angels of Anaheim, they were struggling. They're on a 14-game losing streak. They they went for Nickelback, one of British Columbia's finest. All yeah. the players walked out to Nickelback songs. They lost that particular game, but then they won the next night. So I want to workshop this with you. Do you <laughs> think that the Leafs break their playoff series duck next year if they you know come out to games with Nickelback playing? Well, you know what? Um, they, they need to try. I'm not I'm not big on the Hall & Oates goal song that they've got. I think that is beyond lame. But, uh, yeah, you know, you might as well try. And, and, you know, Nickelback is kind of a polarizing band, right? Like, people people love them and people are like, ooh, Nickelback. But if, if I'm the Leafs, I try anything at this point. Voodoo dolls, extra sports psychology, and if Nickelback's going to make it happen, make it happen. There we go. Yeah, getting back to the Canucks, uh, obviously they need some pieces on defense for sure, but uh, I'm not that in tune with how things are being managed there. Do they have any cap issues at all? How's their their roster cost? Oh, they've got cap issues, yeah. Now, it, you can look at it two ways. They will have a little bit of cap flexibility this summer, but you can't use it because if you use it, they've got some big tickets that are due the following year, and they're going to completely hamstring themselves, right? So... If they make the decisions they're going to make this summer uh, with, with um, you know, the JT Millers of the world, Brock Besser, possibly Bo Horvat this summer as well. If they make those decisions, that cap space is going to go really quickly. So if you make the decision to go sign a defenseman, you know, at $4 million a year for the next four years, you're going to be eating into that. And then you can't make the other decisions that you need to make. So the first things they need to do, they've got a clear cap space, right? They've got okay. to make some moves to 
give themselves some flexibility. And if they can do that, then they'll have a chance. Okay, so th- this is probably more of a year of where they kind of make it their their team now, and you got the new coach and kind of realign things and begin from scratch, really. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's more about what management wants to do, right? I mean, I think they see some areas that they've got to get fixed, and and it's going to be a multi year project. I don't know that they can fix all the areas they need to fix in one one big move this year. I don't think it's going to happen that way because the previous management team left them with a lot of challenging contracts that they're going to have to try to navigate. So the moves come hat in hand. I think if they get a decision done on Brock Besser, who I think they'll get re-signed, Miller's about 50-50. I think Bo Horvat will be here. There's probably less pressure to get him done this year. They could wait into the season to make that decision. But regardless, if they make two of those three moves, with that, they're going to have to shed space and not add. And then maybe down the road, they're going to be able to add. Okay, okay. And are, are you a dedicated Canucks fan? Uh, I'm not a fan. I mean, I, you know, I've lived here in the city for a long time, so I hope I get to cover a parade before I die. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're in the business, it's difficult to become a fan, right? I, I just, uh, I cover this team closely and, uh, you know, it, it's fun to cover playoff runs, but it's not like I'm cheering for them. Okay. Any teams you're a fan of that you don't cover? University of Washington football. I'm not invested in a lot of other sports, you know, so I like, I'm not a big baseball guy. I kind of like the Mariners, but I'm not a baseball guy. So I can't say I'm all into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I used to cover a lot of basketball. I don't anymore. So I've kind of become a bit of a Golden State Warriors fan because my young son is into them. But uh, in terms of things I'm truly passionate about, because I don't get to cover college football on a day-to-day basis, I do cover the college football playoffs. But, you know, day-to-day, I don't necessarily cover it beyond Canadian stories. So I, uh, I really am a, I'm a huge Huskies fan. Okay. Okay. And is, is there anybody on that team we should be watching out for next draft? Uh, ZTF, uh, Zion Tupa, God, his Polynesian last name, I can't say it properly. Uh, ZTF um, is going to be a a stud defensive end. Um, You know, uh, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan are two really, really talented receivers. Uh, So they've got some players there that I think are really good uh, that uh, that have a chance to play in the NFL, definitely. Nice. I'm going to give it a crack because I grew up in that neck of the woods. Zion Tupaloa Fatui. There you go. That's correct. <laughs> I kind of bumbled, but I got I got the I got the playoff in the end. There's so <laughs> many poly names on that team. I've learned to say some of them, but ZTF didn't play half of last year because of uh, an Achilles injury, so we didn't get to say his name as much. I just call him Zion. There we go. I'm sure sure we'll be saying his name a lot this coming season. Now you you touched on basketball for a second. Were you a fan of this? Well, not were you a fan, but do you think the NBA is better with the SuperSonics back in the league? Yeah, I think I think Seattle's a really good basketball market, right? There are there are great basketball players that get developed there, and then they go off and play everywhere else because UW's basketball program is not very good. So closest you might get a couple is at Gonzaga, but they play at power programs around the country. So there's a strong, vibrant basketball culture there. It was a te- it was a city that never deserved to lose its team. They always supported the Sonics. You just had an owner that wanted to take them to Oklahoma and couldn't get the arena deal that he wanted after trying to hold the city hostage. So. You know, it's such an obvious market. Now the arena's there for the hockey team. So I think it's only a matter of time before basketball comes back. And I think the league will be better because of it. Mm-hmm. And is that a similar sentiment for Vancouver or not? Here I covered, you know, 200 basketball games in the six years. The Grizzlies were in Vancouver and they were awful. And I think it was, I think the city of Vancouver supported it reasonably well. I don't think it's ever coming back though. I, ever's probably wrong, but... I don't think I'm going to see it in my lifetime and, and certainly not in my time in, in the media. You know, with the exchange, it's not necessarily a vibrant basketball market. It could have been, 
because the you know the hockey team was so bad when the basketball team was here. So if the basketball team would have just been 500, if they would have just hovered on the fringes of the playoff race, I think they could have owned Vancouver. But it was historically bad. I think the winning percentage was 220 for six years, and it never got better. So uh, I, I don't know what it could turn into, right? I mean, it's it's such a it's such an international city, right? That and and the league then was all about American players, whereas now it's a much more global league. So you could stock the roster with other players that could appreciate Vancouver, or maybe some of the inner city American players didn't appreciate Vancouver. So it could work, but I. I think a lot would have to happen to make it work, and I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Okay. Now, that's interesting insights because it does seem like Canada probably due for a second team, but maybe it's more Montreal than, than Vancouver for the time being. Yeah, I would love to see it. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they couldn't support it, but I, I think when expansion comes, as you say, it's going to in- include Seattle and Vegas first and second. And then I'm waiting to see the first professional sports league that expands into London or expands into Asia. Because I do think that's going to happen at some point. And, you know, that may happen before Vancouver. I mean, even the NFL, I mean, at some point, they're going to expand into Mexico City, right? Um, yeah. And so people in Toronto think it's coming there. I, I think there's other places around the world where it could happen before it happens in Toronto. Because from an NFL perspective, they have Canada. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They have Canada. I don't think having another team or having a team in Canada makes them have Canada anymore when you look at the television ratings and the betting numbers. Whereas if you go globally and become the first to, to establish a footprint there, you know, it, it could completely change the financial model, right? So all these leagues have gonna, are going to have to wrestle with that as they try to become not just North American leagues, but global leagues. No doubt about it. And I'm sure one of the pulls for going global is the fact that you can have a Super Bowl off, offshore because you can have it in a any NFL stadium, pretty much. Now, that gets me thinking because Buffalo is on the Canada's doorstep and Buffalo is upgrading their stadium. We've had one winter Super Bowl in recent times in New York, New Jersey. Could you see Buffalo hosting a Super Bowl once they finish their upgrades to the stadium at Orchid Park? I doubt it. I doubt it. From a market standpoint, you know, and they've had one in Minnesota, which was certainly it was indoors. But in terms of the Super Bowl festival and the city that you were in, I was there and it's damn cold. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know that that's part of it. And, and, you know, look, the league does try to make right. But one of the things the NFL is also doing is they're they're really creating secondary events. Right. So the draft is a massive event. Now the combine they're trying to bring that to, to multiple locations. And yeah, you know, they, they put it up for bid in Indianapolis, got the first one, but you're going to see it move to other cities. So I could see the draft going to Buffalo before I could see a Super Bowl going to Buffalo. Yeah, I think, I think that might be a ways off. All right. Well, Bill's Mafia will have to keep dreaming then for the time being. Now, yeah. one last question. Just want to draw on your, I guess, Huskies fandom and my fantasy interest. <laughs> Kate Orton was drafted this year by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a tight end. Yeah. We don't, well, you might be able to tell me if Gronk is coming back, but is Kate Otten's, Kate Otten someone I should be looking out for in fantasy this season? Yeah, I think you should. Now, I do think Gronk will come back, but I think he's going to be even less involved than he was a year ago. Kate Otten's a really, really good football player, and he had some injuries last year, or he would have been drafted much higher than he was. I would have expected Kate Otten going into last season, he would have been one of the top two to three tight ends in the country, and he would have been 
a top 50 draft pick if he didn't have the injuries that he had. So this kid's a player and he, he's flexible. He can play in line and, and be attached. He can play outside or play in the slot. He can do a lot of different things. So I think playing in that system, I think that'll bring out the most in him. So he could be a real value pick for you. He's also got a younger brother that's going to be a freshman at Washington this year. All right. Okay. Maybe I'll see if I can scoop him up at the back end of my drafts. That's good info. I appreciate that, Farhan. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, at Farhan Lalji TSN for both uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on many on any of the other platforms. I do those two quite a bit. So uh, I'd love to have you join. There we go. Just about to hit that follow button. So, mm-hmm. mate, thanks for the chat. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate talking to you, Farhan. Awesome to get on. I got some construction happening just outside my window, so I had to mute out there for a bit. Thanks, you guys, for having me. I appreciate it, and enjoy the CFL season. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our Insider Tips, Sponsor Giveaways, and Insider Newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcast's experience, where no sport is left behind.